Once more, welcome everyone. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. All of you in cafe, anybody joining me by way of video or audio podcast. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Cafe folks, we love you more than anything. I know a number of you are in the 830 a class being led by Rick Ripke. Uh, God bless you all. I know that's going well. Uh, I want to finish up the series this morning entitled For Worse. We've been talking about suffering in marriage. And I know it's been an odd kind of sermon series. For some of you who are married and in a really happy season, for you this doesn't really probably connect so well, but I just want to let you know that this is a case of sometimes being asked to drink before you're thirsty. Uh, You drink before you're thirsty because when uh, you enter into another kind of season of marriage where you begin to suffer and really have to begin to walk out uh, the faith, hope, and love that Christ gives in your marriage, then and perhaps some of this will, will come back to you. Others I know have been in the, in, in the middle of a season of suffering, and I, and I, I trust that there's been something encouraging about, about these messages for you. Uh, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, let's go there and let's let things end here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, sometimes called the love chapter. A woman was explaining to me what happened to uh, her marriage that caused it to fail, and this is what she said, something like this. She said, uh, I I guess we probably didn't know what we were doing. She said, we probably never should have gotten married in the first place, but we were both young and had stars in our eyes. That's what she said. We had stars in our eyes. What what does that mean to say that somebody is starry-eyed or that they have stars in their eyes? What's that mean? Somebody tell me starry-eyed, stars in her eyes. Well, what's that mean? Yeah, uh, maybe somehow naive, maybe a little too enraptured or carried away with romance, whatever. It's that idea that, that somehow you were carried away uh, with love, a little bit crazy in love, and, and, and not thinking things through one way or the other. When we say that a person is starry-eyed, we usually are saying something about the fact that they're just so in love that they're not even aware anymore of, 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 of what they're doing. Uh, uh, honestly, starry-eyed is, is often a desirable thing. If you are in a position of being starry-eyed, you're usually kind of happy about that. It's it's not necessarily a a bad thing, although sometimes we look at being starry-eyed as a person who's not thinking clearly. But but, but sometimes in marriage, it's devastating to realize that there are no longer any stars in her eyes, no longer any stars in your eyes. so, So the question today just comes back to once the stars in your eyes are gone. Is there any way to get that back? Is there any way to, to find those stars again? And, and for that, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, it's the, it's the love chapter. So before we do anything else, uh, let's define love. Let's talk about what love actually is. And, and from a biblical, a, a Christian perspective, I think we would say this. Love is the, say this word, power. Love is power. Now, you've got to understand this, love is power, because most people don't think of love as power. They think of love as, right, feeling. They think of love as feeling, and love is not feeling. 
You have to understand this. Love is not feeling. Love is power. God is love, for example, the Scripture says. And that doesn't mean that God is just feeling. God is power. Love is the power that moves us. In other words, love is power that moves us. Love makes us able to do things. So love is the power that moves us in everyday relationships. So love applies in marriage definitely, but not only just marriage, in every kind of relationship. Love is the power that moves us in everyday relationships to say this word, give, to give without expecting anything back. Love is the power that moves us in everyday relationships to give without expecting anything back. Greater love has no one than this that he would lay down his life for his friends. It's that idea of love being a power that makes us able to do what ordinarily we would not choose to do, we would not be able to do. Love is power that moves us in everyday relationships to give without expecting anything back. Can you do that? Because that definition of love makes love very, very costly to give and give and give and never expect anything back. I guess the question becomes, can you afford that? Can you just live a life where you give and give and give to others? You give and give and give to your spouse till death. Can you afford that without ever expecting anything back? Can you really love and not expect anything back? Oh, yes. Yes. When you know that you are loved, you can do this. And are you loved? Oh, you better believe it. Yeah. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter 13. Love is power. And this is what Scripture says. This is so beautiful. Listen, listen, and listen for the sake of your marriage. Listen. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had to get to prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient, kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, always hopes, endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. 
All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but, but then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. Yeah. Back to verse 4. This chapter talks about all of the uh, amazing things that love is, that, that, that love is. You'll notice that these are all uh, action-type words. These are things that love does. In verse 4, the New Living Translation says that love is, is, is patient, but uh, the old King James is probably the more accurate translation here. What did King James Version say? Do anybody have it? You remember? Love. Love suffers long. Yeah. Again, remember this series is entitled For Worse, Suffering in Marriage. We're talking about how to get through hard times in marriage. And amazingly, the very first thing that this passage says about love, the the first attribute of love, the, the first amazing thing that love does is that love has this ability to do a lot of suffering. Now, why would you lead with that? I mean, of all things to say first, to say that love suffers long. Why is that important? Because basically, if you've loved at all, then you've had to understand this. You can put this in your Valentine card. Love puts up with a whole lot of crud. Love just does. It puts up with a whole lot of crud. And, and it's probably the most important thing to say about love. And it's certainly the first thing that Paul leads with. Love suffers long. Love puts up with just a whole lot of crud. Because that's what love has to do. Amen? It's just what love has to do. Love suffers Long. Love has to do with suffering. Love is connected to suffering. Love hurts, as the old rock and roll song used to say. And it does. It does. It always does. Greater love has no one than this than he buys a dozen roses at the, at the minute mart and brings them home to... No, no, no. That's not very costly. Greater love is no one than this, that, that, that he lays down his life. You understand, the greatest picture of love that we have is Jesus on the cross. It's a picture of suffering. So love knows how to suffer, and love is able to suffer, and love is willing to suffer. That's what love does. Love puts up with a whole lot of crud. It just does. And if you were somehow thinking that you were going to be able to enter into marriage and avoid seasons like this one, if you really thought that you were going to enter into marriage and just simply live happily ever after, then you haven't the foggiest idea what love is, what love does. Love suffers long. Now, you've probably talk to the person, or maybe you've been the person who said, you know, I'm just not going to let anybody hurt me again. Maybe you grew up in one of those families where, where your parents abandoned you or somehow never managed to, to teach you love or help you understand what love is. Maybe in your life you've been hurt and disappointed and, and abused a lot, and you're just one of those people who said, I, I won't let that happen again. I, I'm not going to get close enough so that anybody can hurt me. Do you not understand That if you're not close enough for anybody to hurt you, then you're not close enough for anybody to love you. Love makes us close to other people, and other people are dangerous. 
Other people are people, and that means they're going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you. Most of the time, nobody means to hurt you. Most of the time, we don't mean to hurt one another, but we do because that's what we do. We're people. We don't love well, and we don't show love well. We are so selfish and mostly so wrapped up in our own selves that we're just not able to think about others. And because we don't think about one another, we hurt one another. But if we're going to love each other, if we're ever going to know the joy and the beauty and the everyday fullness of love, we've got to be willing to be hurt. We've got to be willing to get close enough to take that risk. Love always makes itself vulnerable. Love always leaves its heart open. It's the only way that love can exist. If you're not close enough to be hurt, then you're not close enough to love at all. Now, what happens in a marriage that's going sour is that you begin to experience this disappointment. You begin to experience the hurt, the everyday rejection in your own marriage, and that is devastating. And so the tendency is to say, I'm not going to let him hurt me like this. I'm not going to continue to let her hurt me like this. And you begin to pull your heart back out. You begin to withdraw your own heart from the marriage. It's a slow thing, and sometimes it's nearly an an, an unconscious thing. But you just begin to remove your heart, to withdraw that trust that you originally gave. You start to pull back, and and you're just telling yourself, I'm not going to let myself be hurt. But but I'm telling you, withdrawing your heart like that, you, you may guarantee that you'll not be hurt, but you also guarantee that you'll no longer be loved. Someone has to have your heart. You have to offer your heart and you have to trust your heart in the hands of another person in order for that person genuinely, truly to love you. Love suffers long. Love suffers long. But what exactly does that mean? Love suffers long. How long? I mean, that's the question. This whole time, this whole series, it's the question. Some of you have been saying, Pastor Tim, just get to it. How long? How long do I have to put up with this clown? How long do I have to let this woman cheat on me? How long do we continue just showing up at church and putting on a show for people? How long do we have to pretend that this is love? It's not love. How long? Well, long. Long. I'm not, I'm not joking. Love suffers long. That's what it says. So, so long, long, longer than anybody would have ever thought you would. Long, longer than you thought you could. Long. Love suffers long. It, it just does. I'm not saying that that's easy. I'm telling you that a power suffer long is a minor miracle. To continue putting up with the crud. It's a minor miracle. I mean, it's an absolute wonder. Love comes from God. That's what the scriptures say. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God and everybody who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. First John chapter 4. You remember the passage, right? So this love comes from God. It's not from me. So when I have this ability to suffer long, that's a miracle. It's a miracle. Ordinarily, people couldn't suffer this long. Ordinarily, a person couldn't show this much patience for this long of a time. But this is the point. This is supernatural here. We're believers, right? 
It's a triangular covenant, right? And God is the source of love in this marriage, right? It doesn't have to come from you. So when you say, Pastor Tim, it's just not in me, I agree. It's not in you, and it's not in me either. It's a minor miracle that we can suffer long, but that's what love does. Love suffers long. How long? Well, long. But not forever. Not forever. I'll say that. To suffer long does not mean that it suffers endlessly. There are situations, and we talked about this last week, there are absolutely situations in which you're no longer bound. I mean, I mean, the covenant has been so radically broken by your unfaithful partner that you're no longer bound. I mean, Scripture sets apart those circumstances. God intends that marriage be, be a, a unity for a lifetime, but at the same time, he permits divorce in certain circumstances. Love suffers long, but it doesn't mean it suffers endlessly. Now, our example of love is God himself. And look through the scriptures at the different times in the book of Genesis when God says, you know, my spirit is not always going to suffer with you. Now, understand? I mean, God says those sorts of things. I mean, he is incredibly patient with us. He's incredibly patient, but there is a time when his patience runs out. Even the Lord... Love suffers long, but that does not mean that love suffers endlessly. Love suffers long, longer than anybody would have expected, longer than someone who didn't know Jesus would have ever put up with it. I mean, love suffers long, but then there comes a point, and I don't know where that point is, and I don't know that anybody but the Holy Spirit can tell you this, but there may come a point where, where love itself is allowed to draw a new boundary, where love itself is allowed to draw a new boundary so that, so that you can't hurt me anymore. I mean, I, I believe this. I think this is what, what the scriptures play out. Love suffers long, but that's not to say that love suffers endlessly. But, but, but love suffers long. Why? Why must love suffer? Why does love endure so much pain? Why must you endure so much pain? I, I would just say it this way. When it comes to love, the pain never becomes more important than the person. It's, it's, it's love. I've told you, I've presided in 20 years over a lot of weddings. I've also presided over a lot of divorces. And I've yet, I've yet to see a couple divorce that did not say that they loved each other. That there's something else that, that dies or something else that, that fizzles. They often say, I, I guess I'll always love her. I just can't stand to be in the house with her, you know. But, but when it comes to love, it, 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 the pain never becomes more important than the, the, than the person. Those of you who are parents, you understand this, right? I mean, someone said to be a parent is to, is to have your heart walking around outside your body. What's that mean? It means vulnerability. It means that we get hurt all the time. Uh, but, but with love, it continues to endure the pain because, because of the person. I mean, what is it that attracted you to each other in the first place? There was something about her, right? There was something about him, him right? There was, there was this love for that person, and, and now you're about to let the pain take that person away from you. Are you really going to let that happen? Love always, always values the person somehow more than the 
pain. Let's go on. Verse 8, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Love will last forever. Love never fails is is what the other translations typically say. Love never fails. Well, what exactly does that mean? I've said that suffering long isn't the same thing as suffering endlessly. So is there a a, a point at at which love allows you to step out of this thing? Is there a a point at which love allows you to, to, to turn off the pain? That's what divorce is, right? It's when a person sees some way to end the pain. And for most people who experience divorce, divorce was chosen because they figured that divorce would somehow end that pain. Now, we've said that love suffers long and love endures the pain for the sake of the person. But, but is, is there ever a moment when, when you recognize that, that love is going to, to, to step out? Does love do that? Does love ever turn off? I mean, the Scripture says love never fails. It never ends. I guess that's why, I guess that's why I would just want to say this. Remember, love is power. Love is not feeling. Love is power, which means the future of your marriage has almost nothing to do with how you're feeling today. In anybody's marriage, in any happy marriage, there are just mornings where you roll over and can't stand the sight of that person. I'm so glad Casey didn't say amen right there. But but you know what I'm saying? I mean, you can't go from day-to-day feelings. Feelings are are fleeting and feelings are fickle. You can't trust them. And the future of your marriage has almost nothing to do with how you're feeling today. The future of your marriage has everything to do with how you decide to act today in relation to your spouse. It has to do with what you decide to do. And some of you are about to decide to, to end this marriage, to step out. I just remind you that love is power. Love is power, and whatever you do must be done in love, and it must be done out of a position of strength, because that's what Christ gives us, strength and power. So let me say this, when you turn off suffering out of weakness or anger or selfishness, you've turned it off too soon. Again, I consider divorce turning off suffering, and if you do this divorce just because you're weak or because you're tired— or because you're selfish or mad, you're, you're leaving too soon. You're turning it off too soon. You, you don't do it out of weakness. You don't do it out of, out of being tired. You don't do it out of anger because you'll get over being mad. You'll get over that. We've all been waiting for it a long time. We're still expecting that you will. Anger passes too. All of the feelings will pass. So you just make sure you don't turn this thing off too soon. Man, I, I, I heard a man recently who, who'd gone through an awful divorce. I mean, it was just nearly, you know, double homicide kind of thing. No joke. It was just awful. Awful. A year down the road after the divorce, he, he, he just said to me, Pastor Tim, I, I'd go back. I, I'd go back and I'd, I'd sleep on her couch. If I could, it's just the regret of it. You see, he, he turned it off too soon. You just don't turn it off out of weakness or anger or selfishness. If, if you do, it'll be too soon. Love suffers long and, and, and love never fails. As I say, love makes no promises about how it's going to feel. I can't promise you that. 
But I can make a lot of promises by how I'm going to act. And this is exactly what 1 Corinthians 13 is about. Love is patient. Patience is not a feeling. Patience is a way of being in the world. It's a way of being in a relationship with other people. Patience puts up with a whole lot of crud. Understand? Love is kind. Kindness is not a feeling. I, I don't really know if the lady in the, in the line at the grocery store feels kindness toward me, but I will notice if she treats me with kindness, and that treating with kindness is all that matters. And this is what 1 Corinthians 13 is saying. Patience and kindness. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. Love doesn't keep score. You understand? These are actions, and these are actions you choose. It doesn't say a word about how love's going to feel. It doesn't say it's going to wake up every day starry-eyed. It doesn't say that at all. It just says it'll wake up every day and not act jealous. It'll wake up every day and not be irritable. Well, means to say that again for your wife right now. She won't be irritable. I mean, it's what it says. This is how you act. No promise about feelings. All the promises of love have to do with how it's going to act. These are action words. It's, it's action. And it says right there, love never fails. It never fails. Love never fails. It's power. It never fails. So does that mean it always succeeds? Does it always succeed? Well, love always succeeds in what it's supposed to do. And what it's supposed to do. Love never fails in what it's supposed to do. And what is love supposed to do exactly? Well, love's supposed to change him. It's supposed to change him. I mean, a whole lot of women, they actually get married thinking that a wedding is going to change that bird. You understand? That guy you're dating, that guy that you fight with all the time when you're dating, that, that guy that drinks too much while you're dating, what makes you think that a wedding is going to change him? He's going to drink too much married too. That guy who in high school you said you love, but he pushed you up against the locker. I mean, he physically abused you in high school. What makes you think that a wedding is going to change him? You understand? Love doesn't change people. That's not what love promises to do. You just keep thinking that he's going to change, that she's going to change, that you just stay in there and she's going to somehow stop cheating on you. The love doesn't promise that. It doesn't promise to change the other person. Marriage doesn't necessarily change the other person. So if you're waiting around thinking that somehow he's going to change and, and that's what love does, I, I'm afraid you're set up for disappointment. Love always succeeds in what love does. And what does love do exactly? Does it change people? No. But it'll change you. It'll change you can't speak for the other people, but I know if you choose love, it'll change you. Love always succeeds in what love's supposed to do. And what's love supposed to do? Well, it's supposed to help you suffer long. It's supposed to make you kind. It's supposed to make it so that you don't keep score in marriage. It's supposed to make it so that you forgive. And when you forgive, that means you don't keep bringing it up every, every next time you get mad. When you forgive, it doesn't mean you forget because Lord knows, well, we don't forget any of that. You know, it just means that I'm going to forgive you. So that means for the rest of my life, I give up the right to keep bringing that up. 
It's forgiven. It's gone. So what if you were to choose love? What if you were to choose to, to, to begin to act in different ways? What's that going to look like? Well, I, I don't think the way you're going to feel is going to change anytime soon. So, so you can't go on your feelings. But, but 1 Corinthians 13, it just simply says that, that that means for the rest of this day, when it comes to your marriage, choose to suffer long. Choose to be patient. Choose to be kind. Kindness goes a long, long way. Choose to forgive. Stop bringing stuff up. Just stop bringing stuff up. Stop. Stop. Forgive. Stop. Understand? Stop keeping score. Stop keeping up with how many times you loaded the dishwasher. Stop keeping up with how many times you changed the diaper this week. Just stop. 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 Kindness. Forgiveness. It's Marriages are sort of created out of these little bitty things. And in marriage, honestly, all the satisfaction comes in these little bitty things. And your marriage started to die at whatever moment it was that you stopped these little things. Remember how you used to bring her coffee in the morning? Why did you stop? Do you remember how you used to climb in bed together and you touch toes and hers were like popsicles? Do you remember? And you're like, ah, you know? Man, popsicle toes are awesome. When did you stop that? When did you start on purpose going to bed after you knew she'd be asleep? When did you start that, sir? Because a marriage is sort of made of these little things. You know, asking, how, how did you sleep, baby? And, and telling her that she looks pretty. And, and you tell him that he looks awesome. And, you know, he's your boy toy. And, all, and you just, it's that little bitty stuff. It's just. Marriages don't really fail for lack of love because love never fails. You know, but they fail for lack of all of these little bitty things. And these are all the things that you can choose. So this great passage on love ends in a beautiful way. It says. In, in, in this world, for all eternity, there are three things, three things that last forever. Now, nothing lasts forever in this life. Everything has a shelf life, right? I mean, everything disappears. Everything runs out. Everything goes sour. I mean, nothing lasts forever. But, but Paul says, no, you're wrong. There are three things in this life that you can know that you'll also know in the life to come. Three things endure forever. They last forever. They are faith. They are hope. And they are love. In other words, they don't disappear. They don't go away. They don't run out. They, they, they simply endure faith, hope, and love. And, and that means in your marriage right now, in, in your marriage right now, there is faith, hope, and love because they always remain. When everything is gone, faith, hope, and love will be sitting there on the bottom. They do not go away. So why don't you see him? Why, why don't you seem to know that you still have hope and that you still have love and faith? If they're there, why don't you see them? Levi Lesko written an amazing book on suffering recently called Through the Eyes of a Lion. Read it. it it's amazing. Levi Lesko says it this way. He, he says that the stars are always shining. 
The stars, you know, like at night, look out in the, in the night sky, and you see the sky full of stars. It's easy to see the stars at night if the sky is clear because, because you can see them. But, but Lusco says the stars are always shining. Now, that means that on a cloudy night when you don't see the stars, are they still shining? Absolutely, they're still shining. You can't see them for clouds, but that doesn't mean they're not shining. But, but as a matter of fact, it is at this present moment, 930 in the morning in Woodburn, Kentucky. Now, are there stars shining right now outside in the sky? Yes. But it's daylight, y'all. If you, I mean, it's a beautiful day in Kentucky. It's, it's, a, it's the bluest sky you've ever seen. And the sun is shining. Miracle of miracles. The sun is shining. I don't see any stars. But is that a starry sky? Absolutely. The stars don't, don't go somewhere and hide in the daytime. They're still there. They're still shining. You can't see them in the daytime, but they still shine just as brightly. The stars are shining just as brightly whether you see them or not. And in the same way, faith, hope, and love are there whether you see them or not. The the bottom line is you just simply have to choose to see what God says is there even if it seems invisible. And God says you still have the ability to choose love. You still have faith. You still have hope. You don't see it. You don't feel it. Choose to see it anyway. Choose to live out of that faith, hope, and love. Choose to lean into these things because these are the things, my friend, that never go away. Man, in in marriage, everything changes. I did premarital counseling for a couple. They were a really attractive couple. I mean, like most of you, really good-looking couple. But right there in my office, they made a deal. And they said, as soon as we get married, we're going to let ourselves go. That's what they said. We're just going to let ourselves go. She said, I'm going to get fat. And he said, I'm going to get flabby. They made a deal. They just said, because you know what? It's just going to happen anyway. Let's just make it okay. So they just sort of agreed. You know, hey, you know, let's have a race to flabby. Because, you know, it's a race to flabby anyway. It's just, just, life goes by really, really fast. And, and you, know, you know, first one to flabby wins the donuts. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, man, our, our bodies just change. Our feelings come and go. If you're blessed to have children, they change everything. And then they grow up so fast. And then it's just back to you in that empty nest, you know, the emptiest house in the world for a day or two. Just changes. Everything changes. Church changes. Your jobs change. Your money situation changes. I mean, is there anything at all that just won't move, that, that, that's going to nail down and, and you can build something on? Yeah. Build your marriage on faith and hope and love. Because those three things don't ever go away. And, and of those three, there's one that's the greatest. It's love. Love's not a feeling. It's, it's, it's power. It's power to suffer long, put up with a whole lot of crud, you know. It, it's, it's this ability to be kind when you're not feeling it. And to forgive when it hurts. Forgive again and never bring it up. I mean, you just give up that right. It's, it's forgiveness. Love does that. 
It's this ability to just keep giving. You just keep giving without expecting anything back. That sounds really costly, doesn't it? I mean, can you really afford to do that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can give and give and give and give. Not so much because you have love, but because you are loved. You are loved with an everlasting love. And this love that is power for your life, this love that is the hope of your marriage, this love comes from God. It is the greatest thing in heaven or earth. And it never fails. Never fails. Pray with me. Lord, we read the chapter, and if we were to simply make it sort of a report card of our own life and behavior, then, Lord, it would seem that we're not very good lovers. As a group, Lord, we don't forgive well. We may say we forgive, but we don't let anything go ever, and we just can't resist the delicious temptation to bring it up again, to use that memory of failure like a knife that we can always pull out in any fight. Oh, God, we're not very kind, especially to the people that we say we're supposed to love the most, Lord. We don't treat them with a lot of kindness. Lord, marriages fail, not for lack of love, because love never fails, Lord. Marriages fail for the lack of all those little things that just add up to friendship, that just add up to a satisfying life together, Lord. Marriages fail for the smallest of things that we could choose, Lord, if we would only choose love once more. So, Lord, give us this supernatural ability to love, to to suffer long, to forgive, to be kind, give up the score. But, Lord, just to build our lives on the things that never, ever go away, faith, hope, and love. Lord, I pray today for couples. I pray today for individuals in this church. Lord, I pray for those who've gone through divorce. Lord, I know that this sermon has sometimes heaped coals a fire upon people who've suffered the most and those who've gone through divorce, Lord, and I pray that you will mend every broken heart and let every person know the grace and forgiveness that your love affords. Help us to know, Lord, that we are never slaves to the past. Always, Lord, love forgives and love makes it possible for us to start again today, tomorrow. So, Lord, all of us who need a fresh start in marriage, in life, Help us to know that grace, that faith, that hope, that love that makes a new beginning possible. Husbands and wives, families, men, women, boys and girls, give us that faith, hope, and love, Lord, that lets us start again today. For Jesus' sake, amen.